Welcome to the Abbott Loop Community Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from Mark Drake. My topic for today, as we've, as the staff has been talking uh, over the last several weeks, we, we want to be, and if, if, you, if this sounds funny to you or, or maybe you don't quite understand uh, what I mean by this, that's fine, but we want to be a New Covenant church. We want to be a grace church. And when I say grace, I don't mean mercy or forgiveness. That's not what the word grace means. And we're going to talk more about that this morning. Uh, frequently, people who have heard me very much will say, uh, uh, grace, grace, grace. Is that all you ever talk about? And uh, the answer to that is, yeah, because uh, grace is all about the mystery of Christ living in us. And whatever it is, we, whatever area we want to grow in, the perfect example of that, of course, is Jesus. So if I want to be a better husband, Jesus is the perfect husband. And so as I allow him to live in me and live through me, then I'm going to grow in being a better husband. So life really is all about grace. What I want to do this morning is talk about what we as as uh, hopefully servant leaders here in this local church, believe is the foundation stone for what we as a church believe and what we as individuals want to live in and experience on a regular basis. The Bible tells us prophetically in the Old Testament that God will lay the chief cornerstone. In the New Testament, we're told that that's Jesus, that he is the chief cornerstone in the building of God, and that upon him, God then is building us as living stones. One of the important things about Jesus being referred to as the chief cornerstone is that it goes on and says that he will also be a stone of stumbling and a stone of offense. Paul tells us that the reason, and this was spoken uh, principally to the Jews, because Jesus was coming as a Messiah, but in a very different way than what they thought. He was coming as the Lamb of God. Uh, he will come as the Lion of God, but he came as the Lamb, and that was not what the Jews were expecting. So Jesus himself became something that many of the Jews, not all, thank God, but many of them stumbled over. But it wasn't just the fact that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, although in fact he is. That's not what they stumbled over primarily. It's not just that Jesus died and, and in his death paid the penalty for all our sins. That is true. But that's not primarily what they stumbled over. What they stumbled over was the declaration of Paul and the rest of the apostolic writers about what we're calling, according to the Scripture, the mystery of the ages. And this kind of terminology is used frequently throughout the New Testament. This idea that there is a plan of God that has been kept hidden, it has been kept secret, it has been spoken of, Paul says, by all the prophets in the Old Testament. However, they didn't understand from their perspective what they were talking about. And Paul, Peter, James, John, these apostolic writers in the New Testament refer to this mystery that has been kept hidden since before the beginning, and they refer to that as being 
the foundation that is laid in the new covenant. So I want you to go to the book of Romans. Now, the, the, the letter to the church, churches in and around Rome is different than any other letter Paul wrote that we have record of because all the other epistles or letters that Paul wrote, which the ones that we still have record of, he wrote either to churches that he founded or to people, individuals, that he personally mentored, whether it's the churches around in Ephesus or whether it's Timothy, his son in the faith. All of these letters are being written back to people whom he's already invested a lot of time teaching. The churches around Thessalonica, uh, he spent a minimum of a year and a half in that area teaching them. Ephesus, two to three years teaching them. So then when he writes back, say in the, in the book uh, or the letter to the Ephesians, he's not writing, and, and none of these epistles should be viewed as exhaustive letters or, okay, this is everything about this subject. In fact, what he is writing back, say to the church at Ephesus, is a series of reminders. So when you read, for example, the letter to the Ephesian churches, remember that the whole story is not right there because Paul would not have to re-explain all the things that he taught when he was with them, but he would remind them. So there are several things in there where it's just one sentence and then he goes to another subject and one or two sentences, he goes to another subject. It's not because that's all there is to that, but it's because reminding them of that one thing brought up in their memory all the rest of what Paul had, had talked to him. The thing that's different about the book of or the letter of Romans is that when Paul wrote it, he had never been there. And he says in the letter, I have purpose to come and, and spend time with you and share with you my gospel. I have already made plans to do that. Now, of course, what we find out is that uh, Paul's plans didn't work out the way he planned it. Uh, he actually went as a prisoner. Uh, and that was not in his plan, but, of course, it was in God's uh, the whole time. But Paul sent this very lengthy letter that contained what he says repeatedly throughout the letter, my gospel. Paul was very possessive about the face-to-face -face revelation that he said he got directly from Jesus. According to Paul, after his conversion, he spent several years out in some desert area and Christ himself appeared to him a number of times. And I would pay any amount for the tapes of those encounters. But it is from those ongoing encounters that Paul had that he developed what he referred to as my gospel. And before long, all, especially after Acts 15, all the apostles were preaching this same new covenant gospel. So he writes to the church at Rome, but he writes differently. He writes in much more detail. He spends much more time talking about what new covenant faith is, the faith of Abraham, that sort of thing. We're going to get into that uh, beginning next week when we go into the book of Romans. And I did notice because, uh, you know, we're here for a couple of months and then we travel uh, overseas and mentor leaders overseas and then we swing back uh, to St. Louis to see our grandkids and children 
and then we come back home here for a couple of months, and then we do it all over again. So what happens is the staff gets together while I'm gone, and they begin to talk about, okay, you know, we're going we're gonna to teach this series, or we're going to do these subjects, or whatever. And I get this by email, and, uh, and more often than not, I find out that they give me the parts that appear to be the most difficult. And so I get back here uh, three or four weeks ago, and, uh, and, and Lee, who I have the highest admiration for, uh, hands me the list, and I am scheduled two weeks from now to speak on this title. This is a really scary chapter. Uh, so this will be interesting, uh, to say the least. This will be interesting. But it is important to understand why uh, we want to go through the book of Romans and, and give all of us a good handle on it because it's a very unique letter uh, which Paul wrote. Now, when Paul finishes this letter, long letter, by the way, in case you missed it during this series, Powerful and Free, the letter to the Romans had to be delivered by somebody. There was no mail service in that day. There was no post office. It was delivered by hand through a woman named Phoebe. She lived in Centuria, which is the, was the suburb of Corinth. She was a leader there. She was educated, which most women were not in that day. She could read, which most women could not in that day. But she delivered the letter. We know that from reading the book of the letter to the Romans. She delivered the letter, and she read the letter. Over 95% of the adults in the first century Roman Empire could not read. So it was important that Paul pick someone. He picked a woman. Now, imagine that um, you were there, and uh, you hear her reading this letter. And as you hear her reading this letter, you are hearing the heart and revelation of Paul being laid out. And he talks in amazing language about the faith of Abraham and, and what the new covenant is all about and why the old covenant wouldn't work. And the simple answer to that, by the way, is that the old covenant gave us laws and rules, but it never gave us the power or ability to forget, to, to, to fulfill those rules and regulations. It's one thing to say, this is what you must do. But it's another thing to say, and I'm going to give you the power to do it. And that is the big change in the new covenant. That's what, uh, everything got turned inside out. In the old covenant, it's laws written on stone. In the new covenant, it's God's word put inside of us. So Paul is writing about this. Now he gets to the end of the, end of the letter, uh, the very, very end, the very last uh, chapter, last verse in Romans 16. And this is what he says. And I want to suggest to you that he does something here uh, that unless you understand this, when I, I certainly didn't as I first read it back in the good old days, uh, by the way, speaking about the good old days, my wife had a birthday today. This is her birthday today. And because we both love the age that we are, I'm free to tell you she just turned 65 this very day. And uh, I know she looks 40 and I look 80, but uh, uh, we're only two years apart. I will soon be 67, although I have carried my miles much more difficult than she has apparently. But as an author myself, Paul does something at the end of this letter that unless you understand some other things about the way the apostles and the early Christians spoke to one another, 
you would really wonder why no good author would do this. This just is not fair to the reader. Listen to these words. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. Now that's the key word. That's the word I want you to focus on. It's the word I want you to key in on is the word mystery. Say that with me. Mystery. All right. So Paul is wrapping up this letter and he says, according to the revelation of the mystery. Now notice how he describes the mystery. Hidden for long ages past. The mystery has been hidden in all the ages past. So throughout the Old Testament time, the Old Covenant time, there, the, the mystery existed in God's heart and plan, but it was hidden. Nobody understood it. And then it says, uh, but now, but now it has, is revealed and it's made known through the prophetic writings of the command of the eternal God so that all nations might believe and obey him. Now, when you read these words, you have to think to yourself, whatever this mystery is, it's important. It, Paul considers this very important because he says, through the understanding of this mystery, whatever that is, all the nations will believe and obey him. And the key to believing and obeying, Paul says, is the revelation of this mystery which has been kept secret in the Old Testament times, but now is being revealed. And then he says, last words in the letter, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ, amen. Now, as, a, as an author myself, I look at that and I say, whoa, wait, time out, wait a minute. The, you tell us that this mystery is like the most important thing in the world. The revelation of the mystery is, 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 is the most important thing in the world. God, God planned this from before he spoke the world into existence. And, and this has been hidden. And prophets in the Old Testament prophesied about it. But they didn't understand it. And, but now it's being revealed. And the only problem is, you don't tell us what the mystery is. It, he, he, it, it's like we're supposed to already know. And indeed, that's the truth. If we were them, we would already know what the word mystery pertains to because this was very common language. This phrase, the mystery, that's been kept secret in the ages past, but was God's plan all along to bring us up, and it is now being fulfilled in this new covenant through the death, resurrection, ascension, and sending of the Spirit, this mystery is now unfolding in the earth. And the result of the unfolding of this mystery is that people from every nation are coming to, to Christ, believing and obeying Him. But what's the mystery? Well, if all we had was the letter to the Romans and we had never had any other teaching, we wouldn't know. But they do know, and they do know because they had heard other apostles talk about it. This was, this mystery thing was very common talk among the apostles and among the churches. And we know that by getting out our simple concordances and looking up the word mystery in the New Testament 
and finding that it's used over a dozen times. Now, if all we had was the letter to the Romans, we would be confused and we would not know what this mystery is. Fortunately, by God's design, we have the other epistles. So we go to Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 25, also written by Paul. I have become its servant. He's talking about the message of the mystery, the message of the kingdom. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present, now listen to these words, to present the word of God in its fullness, the mystery. Now, whatever the mystery is, we don't know yet based on this, but whatever it is, it is the word of God in its fullness. I mean, this is a big deal. It's a really big deal. So I have come and I have delivered the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages. Doesn't that sound familiar? We just read those almost exact words in Romans 16. But now, it has been hidden, but now is disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. And now here it is, which is Christ in you. Christ in me, the hope of glory. The mystery that Paul said is the foundation stone for everything else is the revelation that you don't just believe in Jesus. He wants to inhabit you by his spirit. The fact that he died for your sins, yes, absolutely. That he rose to redeem us and to buy us back. Yes, absolutely. That he ascended back to the Father in a physical body that was mortal and died, but now is immortal, showing what we're going to have after we die and he returns and wraps this age up. We're going to have a body too. Yes, absolutely. The sending of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Yes, absolutely. But the sending of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost fulfilled the new covenant. Christ in me, living in me. How? By his spirit. Romans 8, 11. Now, if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, he shall put life into your mortal body. Wait a minute. If it's my mortal body, I already have life in my mortal body. So whose life is he putting in my mortal body? Christ's life. The spirit that raised Jesus is wanting to put his life in you. So Paul says, this is the great mystery. Now, why was it a mystery? Well, one of the reasons it was a mystery, beginning especially with the Jews, is that the Jews tended to have an extremely fearful view of God. They always began with God being the judge of the nations, and they feared and trembled. However, God started someplace else, and Jesus made it clear with Nicodemus when he said, you don't, we see, Nicodemus said, we see what you do, we hear what you say, but we don't understand. And Jesus said, you being a great teacher in Israel, and you don't know this simple fact that God loved the world so much that he gave his son. This is where we start. But for the Jews of Paul's day, that's not where they started. They started out of a place of fear. In fact, and I um, uh, get on, make sure you're on the church's uh, connect form, and we'll maybe send you something out on this. But you know, there are those people today that say that uh, the only correct way to call God by his right name, is to use the name Yahweh. And there are people that go so far as to say, if you say anything other than Yahweh and Yeshua for Jesus, then you're not, you're wrong. You're, you're, not, you're, not, called, you're not talking to the only true God. Well, the problem with the word Yahweh 
is that it's not a real word. It's a made-up word. You say, what do you mean it's a made-up word? Well, it actually comes from what the Jews for generations called the unspeakable name of God. They wouldn't say it. No Orthodox, you won't catch any Orthodox Jew even today saying Yahweh. And here's why. In Hebrew, there are no vowels. So when we say Yahweh, Y-A-H-E-W, Yahweh, or however, I, I didn't spell that right. Y, help me, Y-A-H-W-E-H. It actually comes from the, the, the phrase in Hebrew that is the letter Y-H-W-H. And what someone has done along the way is they've put an A and an E in there so that it makes the sound Yahweh. But there are no vowels in Hebrew. So you could just as easily put O's in there and it'd be Yoo-Hoo. <laughs> and it's that way because the Jews didn't pronounce it. They were so afraid that they might use it in vain. One of the Ten Commandments. Don't take the Lord's name. They were so afraid that that was the unspoken name. They never said that name. Now, the dilemma is this. They viewed God as being, as he rightfully is, the all-powerful, all-knowing, infinite God. But they were so afraid of him that the idea, the very thought that that absolutely perfect God could somehow live infallible human beings was blasphemy to a first century Jew. That's what made them so angry at Paul. It wasn't just saying, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. Just during the first century, there were dozens of Jews that rose up claiming to be the Messiah, and they didn't all get crucified. That's not why they were so mad. They were mad because of this mystery that before God ever started creation, he had a mysterious plan. He was working to a climax, and that climax would be that he would have a genuine family from every kindred, nation, tongue, and tribe, and to have a genuine family, there, that family had to share his spiritual DNA. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. You must be born from heaven. And that the only way to make us possessors of God's DNA is for the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to dwell in us, to live in us. At what we call the Last Supper, Jesus looks at his men and he says, I'm leaving and it's good for you that I leave, because if I don't leave, the Spirit can't come. But when I leave, the Spirit will come. And then these amazing words. Listen, you could live the rest of your natural life and know nothing else but these words right here, and you would please God. Jesus said, you know the Spirit because he has been with you. But on that day, he shall be in you. And I guarantee you, those guys looked at one another and said, huh? Well, how's that going to happen? I don't know. It's a mystery. 
the mystery of the ages. God wants a family that shares his DNA. So he is going to birth part of himself inside of us by putting his spirit in us so we might be born as sons and daughters of the king, sharing spiritual DNA with him. And then the miracle begins. This was common language. Quickly, let me read through these. You don't have to look them up. You can get it on the podcast later. Maybe we'll send it out. Uh, get on the mailing list. Fill out a contact form and you'll get it in the mail or an email. But let's, let's take a look at these real fast. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's take a look at that. In him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Now almost every time that you see the word mystery in Paul's writings, it will be in the context of the word grace. So he says this, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he, which he, the Father, purposed in him, the Son. And what he purposed was for the Spirit of the Son to live in his children. The mystery. Christ living in us by the Spirit. Jesus in bodily form is in heaven at the right hand of God. I'm pointing up because I don't know where else to point. But God's not up. He is everywhere. He's the spirit. But Jesus is a literal body. He has a physical body, but it is now immortal. You and I are going to end up with our bodies immortal too. And it's going to be perfect. I'm getting all my hair back. All right. Uh, and losing some of this. All right, now. now uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, look in chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I, Paul, prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which has been given to me for you, that by revelation there was known to me the mystery. Not a mystery, but the mystery. As I wrote before in brief, referring to this when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Now notice how these words are repeated, which in other generation was not made known to sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of his power. Grace, power, the mystery. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring the light to, to uh, what is the administration of the mystery. Again, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. This was common language. The mystery. What's the mystery? Christ wants to live in you. You don't just believe in him, but by believing in him, a miracle happens. His spirit comes to live in you and make you alive when you were dead in your sins. But that's not the end of the story. I grieve over people who just because of lack of knowledge or understanding, all of their focus is at what, on what happened at the cross. Thank God for that. Yes. But it was in the resurrection and the sending of the Spirit that we now live, forgiven by the cross, but made alive to God by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
And the more we understand that, the more we put our faith in him who is in us, and he has a job to do. And that is to transform us from the inside out. And you say, well, how does that happen? And I say, I don't know. Because it's a mystery. How can God live in people like us? This is why John would write and he would say, and this is King James, by the way, the way I originally memorized it, behold, what manner of love is this, that we would be called the sons of God. John couldn't comprehend it, but he knew it was true. You can experience it, but you can't fully comprehend it. Your understanding will grow in it. Your faith will grow in it, but it'll still be a mystery until one day we know him the way he knows us. Go a little bit further quickly, Ephesians chapter 6, and pray on my behalf. Now watch what he asks for prayer for. That utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. That in proclaiming it, proclaiming what? The mystery the mystery of the ages. God not only loves you, he wants to live inside of you. He wants to convert you into the image of his son by sanctifying you. And oh, I love how it happens, you know, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and then all of a sudden a lot, and then a little bit, and a little bit, and then all of a sudden a lot, and a little bit. And how many know what I'm talking about? <laughs> right, right, right? You know, after a while of just a little bit, you're thinking, man, you know, isn't there more I should be doing? And boom, you have another special encounter with him. And it's, oh, wow. And, you know, that's, that's, that's when my wife looks at me and thank God she says, you know, you've changed a little bit. You <laughs> say, thank you, Jesus. Oh, <laughs> Transformation. This is the Colossians 2. I just, I want you to see this. I want this to be, to be built into the foundation of your very thought life. Colossians 2, uh, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the, from the full assurance of understanding. Now listen to this, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then drop down two more chapters to Colossians 4. Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well. Here's what he asked for prayer, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I also have been imprisoned that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. That's what I ask for prayer more in my daily life from other people than anything else, that wherever God opens the door for us to go in the world, to especially work with leaders, is that he will give me a, an, a, a, just an overwhelming simplicity of explaining the mystery of Christ living in and through us. Because, my friend, this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. Now, let's take one step further and look at this. Put up uh, uh, the long grace, agree. Look at this here. I think it should be the next slide, I, I think, if I didn't mess this up. Okay. <laughs> Maybe not. All right, so just, so just listen. It, sh uh, I, uh, it should be 10, I think. All right, listen to this. The law and grace agree on righteous, godly behavior. 
but they completely disagree on how to achieve it. That's the problem. It's not, it's not that don't murder is bad, one of the Ten Commandments. It's not bad. It's just not nearly enough. I mean, come on. Do you really want to spend 18 years of your child's life teaching them, now don't murder? Or would you rather teach them, Jesus wants to live in you. He wants to grow his image in you. And when you've done something wrong, he wants you to be grateful that he already died to pay for it, but he also wants to empower you so maybe the next time you can say no to that and say yes to godly behavior. Grow in that. Right? Right? See, it's not that the Ten Commandments are bad. It's just that the Ten Commandments are good for unregenerated people. They're good for people who don't know Jesus. Because then we can at least get along without my neighbor wanting to murder me. Oh, but we're talking about a mystery where Christ lives inside of us and his nature and character is growing in us. His fruit is growing in us. The mystery, and the mystery has always been God's plan. Quickly, listen to this. And this is just a, a, a tiny, tiny portion of the dozens and dozens of verses in the Old Testament prophets that refer in one way or another to this hidden idea that God was going to live in and through people. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not like the covenant that I made with my fathers, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will, uh, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, give you a heart of flesh. I went, now, just in case we didn't understand it, he goes on. I will put, capital M, my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. See, this has been prophesied. Deuteronomy, Moses talks about it. That God is, the day is going to come when God's going to circumcise the heart. Not a physical circumcision, but a circumcision of our heart, our flesh, so that he can come and reside in us and live through us. Have we, have we hit a standstill there? I just need to know as I wrap this up to the end. Okay, well, if we have, that's all right. All right, so listen, you're going to have to listen now, but we'll send this out to you. The mystery of the ages is Christ living in and through us by the Spirit. Christ living in us and through us by the Spirit is new covenant grace. Listen, there's probably, in, in, in my opinion, there's probably no single other word that gets so misdefined in the New Testament, and it is so critical to define it correctly as the word grace. 98% of the time when people today say the word grace, they mean mercy. Say, well, I really messed up, but I just, I thank God for grace. No, no. What you're thanking God for is his mercy. He didn't strike you with lightning. Or we mean forgiveness. I heard back during the political battle before the election when Newt Gingrich was thinking about running and somebody said about him, yeah, well, you know, he's got some 
really bad things in his past. And the other commentator said, yeah, but, you know, the American people seem to be willing to show uh, people who've messed up to show them grace. He didn't mean grace. He meant mercy. He meant forgiveness. Here's the problem. If that's the only way we define grace, we are still left powerless. You can be forgiven and have no power to not do that again. Grace, charisma, is all about the power of Christ's life coming into you. In fact, the literal rendering of this word grace is the divine influence upon the human heart and then its reflection outward. The whole point of the new covenant is Jesus by his spirit wants to come into you and then work through you, changing you in the process. So we have this, the mystery of the ages is Christ living in and through us by the spirit, which is new covenant grace, which is the mystery of the ages, which is Christ living in and through us by his spirit, which is new covenant grace. These are all the same thing. This is the mystery. God wants to live in us, changing us from the inside and then flowing through us so we can influence other people for his kingdom. I regularly have to have a renewing of my mind because everything around me wants to pull me back into do-it-yourself Christianity. You know what I mean? Read the Bible, find out how you're supposed to act, then grit your teeth and act that way. The new covenant is not do-it-yourself Christianity. It is do-it-to-me Christianity. It is do-it-in-me. You must do it in me. You must sanctify me. And I am putting my faith in you. You cannot put your faith in your own best effort and your faith in the work of Christ at the same time. They are mutually exclusive. Because if I'm putting my faith in my own hard work, if it ever works, who do you think I'm going to give the credit to? Me, I worked hard for this. And if you'd work as hard as me, you'd be as holy as me. That's right. Yeah. Right? Good. That's good. See, no, and you know what? If you do think, oh, i got to work hard, work hard, work hard, and then you fail, then you're condemned. You lose both ways. Oh, but when we start seeing that the mystery is he wants to work in us, you say, ah, oh, well, you know, I've heard that before, and I think that's just an excuse for sin. Excuse for sin? That's like saying antibiotics are an excuse to keep your infection. It's the answer. It's the medicine. Titus 2.11, now the grace of God has appeared to all men, empowering us to say no to ungodliness and to live righteously in a corrupt world. That's what the mystery is. And as much as I need this renewed in mind, every, uh, my mind renewed about this every day because I, I write about it every day, I email about it every day, I preach about it and teach about it every day, you need your mind renewed too. And that's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you, and I really hope that a number of you respond. I won't get paid anymore if you do or if you don't, so. But for your sake, if you're standing here today and you're thinking to yourself, look, academically I know this, 
And there have been times in my past where it's been real in my thinking, but I've, I've, I've wandered from this and I've, I've slipped back into this, I've got to do it myself and, and I'm not doing a very good job of it. I would like for God to wash your mind today. A good brainwashing is in order. So I want you to decide, do, do, I need, do I need a renewal in my mind about this? If I do, then I want to offer myself. Hebrews 12:1 says, So then, my brothers, I urge you by the mercies of the living God that you keep presenting your mortal physical bodies in your act of worship to God so that you will not conform to the image of this world, but you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The simple act of making a move toward God Offering ourselves up to Him, asking Him to give us a renewing of our minds. If that's you, if that's what you feel like you need, say, well, I, you know, I already know this. Yeah, but if you're not living in the joyful reality of this, then you need a renewal. A renewal in the way you think. A renewal. And I'll tell you this. The more passionate a person is to want to follow Jesus the more susceptible they become for the lie of the enemy about self-effort. People that are just kind of cool Christians, they don't get bothered by this stuff. But those of us who deeply desire to want to live in a way that's pleasing to God and to grow in our sanctification, we're the ones that fall prey to the enemy saying, you're not trying hard enough. 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 When the message of this mystery is stop trying and just seek Him. Jesus, you know I am not able. I am not able in my willpower to produce all the fruits of the Spirit. But they're not my fruit anyway. They're the fruits of the Spirit. And your Spirit is living in me. All right, come on. Close your eyes. Lift your hands. Something, just something to reach out, Father, right now, for all of us standing up here, right down this line, right now, Father, bring a wind of renewing in our thinking, right now, right now, right now, right now, wash away the fear, the shame, the condemnation that has grown again inside of us, because we've tried and tried and tried, and we still only see failure. Wash us right now. Lord, cause a metamorphosis to rise up inside of us. A metamorphosis, a metamorphosis, just like that caterpillar that makes that chrysalis and ends up turning into a butterfly. Take us as carnal caterpillars. Move inside of our heart and our mind. Renew our thinking. Renew our thinking. Renew our thinking. Forgive us from thinking that this is about our effort. This is about seeking you and your righteousness. Oh, those who put their faith in you, to them you give the power to become children of God. You give them your power. It is not by might, not by human power, but by your spirit, saith the Lord. Transformation is done by the work of his spirit. This is not an excuse for sin. This is an antidote. This is the healing. This is the spiritual doctor who comes to live inside of us, washing our minds, renewing the way we think. 
letting go of shame because Jesus already took that and being filled again with the Spirit. Paul said being filled with the Spirit is a repeated act again and again and again. Don't keep getting drunk with wine, but keep on being filled with the Spirit. Get filled up again right now. Right now. Be filled up again right now. Be filled up again right now. By the way, if you've never prayed in tongues, go ahead and start now. Why wait? Just start now. He who prays in an unknown tongue edifies himself. You build yourself up. We don't need an interpretation. We're not talking to each other right now. You're talking to God. Let it flow out of you as he fills you up, as he pours it in. Let it flow out of you like living waters out of your belly. Fill us up, Lord. Fill us up. Fill us up. Fill us up. Fill us up. We want the sanctification that's done by your spirit, not by our willpower. We're using our willpower to worship you, to seek you. That's where we use our willpower, to draw near to God, and He will draw near to us. Wash our minds, wash our minds, wash our minds, renew our thinking. Oh God, cause parts of us to come forth as beautiful butterflies, while other parts of us are still that carnal caterpillar that needs to be worked on. But it's a miracle by your Spirit. The seed that falls into the ground and then sprouts up into fruit and the farmer doesn't know how it happens. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. What you're doing in us is a mystery. We give ourselves as much as we're able. We give ourselves to the mysterious working of the transforming Spirit of God. Transform us, transform us, transform us. Measurable and specific. We want to be able to look back even on this day and say, you know what? Something changed. Something, something's different. I need to seek Him again because every time I do, something changes. Little by little, we're being changed into His image. Little by little by little, and then bang! And then we go a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and bang! And that's the life with you, Lord. Transformed into your image. Transformed into your image. All right, I want you to leave with this. Philippians 1, 6. He who began this good work in you, he will complete it. Come on. He who began this good work in me, he will complete it. Amen. Have an amazing week of renewal in your thinking. Ah, hallelujah. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.